0: Thank you for listening to Bellwether's Wednesday night service every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. sharp. Join us. If you are uh, if you're if you're with us maybe for the first time, just share how we see and structure our Wednesday nights. We look at Wednesday nights as a time where, first, we can connect to one another and to God's Word, uh, but also, you know, we believe in God's Word and its power, and so we do it a little different than Sundays, that we want to intentionally look more, uh, not just in a deeper way, but uh, uh, more scripture uh, really trying to clarify what Scripture is saying. I said Sunday that my wife and I, over our time of ministry at Belway, probably nine out of ten folks have come up to us over the years and said, I just I want to know, I want to understand the Bible more. So the focus of this Wednesday night is really to do that, to understand the Bible more. And I would, I would argue, and, and many probably would argue with me, that the chapter that we're going over tonight, Romans 8, some people would say this is the most uh, important uh, chapter. In all the Bible now, people can debate that because God's word is—it's uh, all truth, it's all breathed by God. But I would have to say Romans eight is pretty big stuff for your salvation, but also your walk in Christ. And wherever you are in your life, as in like work or marriage or uh, challenges, this chapter really can speak to you. Before we get into it, though. I want to ask a question for you all to think about. It's, a, it's some words that we throw as Christians a lot, and that is being saved. I think all of us have heard that, you know, that I'm saved or we want him to be saved or her to be saved. And I just want you all to think, what is being saved? First thing that comes to my mind is uh, receiving uh, Jesus in your heart. Uh, we've probably heard that at churches. You've heard that here. Another way you could put it is trusting in what Jesus has done for us. But I really, the theme tonight is that, like, really, what is being saved? Fleshing that out. So if, if we consider ourselves saved, if we have a place in heaven, what does that, what's that look like? I mean, is it just heaven? It, it's supposed to be more, but it's heaven too. What's being saved? And as we look at this, it might, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit might convict us. Might not, but it might, that we're not truly saved. I'm not saying that on y'all, because that can be a dangerous thing to say, especially in the Bible, but, you know, you you might not be saved. You know, it didn't take, I don't want to phrase it like that, but I do want us to value salvation so much and true salvation, real salvation. Chris and I were talking earlier this afternoon. We do believe there's so many people that walk through these doors that don't know what being saved means. And it's like they they get a shot and they think they're they're done with, you know, they've been inoculated and and they're all good. Uh, But there are lost people that come in here uh, every Sunday and we want to be very clear what is salvation, what does it uh, look like. First off, salvation happens in the heart and only God can see that. So, you know, folks would say, you know, am I saved? I would say, the only way I can know you're saved... It's by fruits of your life. What are fruits? Fruits are things that grow on trees. Are you fruitful? Do you see fruits of your salvation in your life? God only can see the heart. I can't see your heart. We can't see your heart. God can, and he will, and we'll stand before him. We can see the fruits. Fruits are acting the right way, living the right way, prayer, Bible study, fellowship. Those things... But we don't want to do them because we're like, oh, i got to do this to look saved, or i got to do this because this is what salvation requires. It should be an overflow and an outflow of something that's happened in our heart. I'm reading this biography right now. Y'all probably don't know who this guy is, but his name's George Whitfield, And in the pre-revolution days in the American colonies, he was the most well-known figure uh, throughout the colonies. More known, more famous than George Washington, Benjamin Franklin... Everybody knew George Whitefield, and he was a preacher. And and he would throw it down, and thousands would flock to hear this guy preach all throughout the American colonies. And what's interesting is, and I didn't know this until recently, he never gave an invitation. Like, you know, the whole, you know, come forward now to receive Christ, raise your hand, do the prayer of uh, repentance and salvation. He never would give an invitation. And he said... The reason he did that was because salvation only happens in the heart. What he would try to do was to help awaken the heart by God's word. But he said, I I couldn't do that. Only the Holy Spirit can awaken a heart. Now, you might know that term, awaken, because in history there was the great awakening which he began. And so he brought many people to Christ, but it was afterwards that they would come and meet with him. And he says, God is doing something in my heart. Holy Spirit's doing something in my heart. And he says, yes, only God can do that. And people were saved by the masses. But I, I thought that was very interesting. Like, he didn't ask for this call for invitation. He said, I want to awaken hearts. So, I believe that that is how you begin to be saved, is that God, at some point, wakes your heart up. And it's like, man, I've been living in a, in a dream or in a fuzz. And now you're awake. And you begin to live a new life. So, let's get into the Bible and see what it tells us about salvation. First off, what is being saved? Well, it is that very thing. It is being saved. As in like you're drowning and you get a line and you are rescued. You are saved. To be saved, you have to be saved from something. What is it? This tells us. I said Romans 8, but I'm going to start a couple of verses before in 721, and I'm going to read through chapter 8, verse 1. Read with me. Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he's trying to be very clear about what it means to be saved. He says, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war, "...against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus." Let's stop right there. What is being saved? Being saved is being saved from something. What is that something we are saved from? One thing we're saved from is ourselves. Ourselves. I love and find it fascinating that here's Paul. I mean, Paul, and he says, Wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am. He's like, man, I'm I'm a bad dude. I got bad stuff in me. And he says, there's still this conflict that, that I want to... Remain in grace in Christ. But my flesh, my body, what's in me, wants to be in sin. And, and live there. He says, wretched man, I always want to go this way. Then he says, thanks be to God, who in Jesus Christ, He will deliver me. And Then it says, there is therefore now no condemnation. What else are we saved for? This is hard stuff, and we're going to get into the hard stuff. We are saved... Very contrary to secular world, to a worldview, we're saved from condemnation. Okay? Here's what I mean. Like if we don't have Jesus, we're already condemned by God. We would stand before God, and this sounds harsh. I don't like to go here, but it's that's my sin too. We stand condemned. We stand guilty. What I mean by this is we were in a Bible study this morning and we were going through John 3.17. John 3.16 is the famous verse, but John 3.17 says, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. And we talked about that a lot because often we're seeing Christians, the church, as condemning people. I'm not trying to do that and I don't think true Christians try to do that. We're like, Well, you know, I've got Jesus and you don't, so, you know, you're condemned. And we're seen as condemning. And that verse is very clear in that Jesus didn't come to condemn anyone but to save people, meaning the people were already condemned. We're already condemned. Jesus came to bring us out of the condemnation, bring us out of standing before God and saying, you know, you're guilty of the sin of what Paul says, the wretched man that I am. And if you get nothing else tonight, um, this is a crucial starting point. That we're saved from ourselves. We're saved from a condemnation that we are. It's called original sin. It's called inherent sin. It's called being guilty. That's, that's how we're, we're born, how we come into this world. But Jesus came to save us. And so being saved is receiving him believing in Him, trusting in Him. And so now we're, we'll, we'll never be condemned before God and we're saved from ourselves. The sin's still there. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But we have salvation. Now then, let's get into what it like, looks like if you are saved. I talked about the fruits. What do these fruits look like? The fruits of salvation. The fruits of being saved. And if, if we ourselves as being saved, I believe we should have these fruits, or at least be moving towards these fruits. The first one would be a new mindset. You know what a mindset is? It's like a way of thinking. It's, you know, you set your mind on something, you, you set your mind on a goal, you move to it. You set your mind on, hey, I, wanna, I want this life, and maybe we have these visions for a life, and then life uh, thwarts that vision, Now, that's happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to all of us. But what's our mindset? And to be saved is a new mindset, and it's really a new way of thinking. Paul writes about this, Romans 8, 5, and I'm going to read verse 5 through 8. Look at this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set, and the key word is the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. To be saved is a new mindset. Uh, Chris and I, we had like a 20-minute conversation. It was great. We hit on a lot of this. And we were talking about this very thing that if you're saved, your mind starts working differently that you don't want to do some of the things that you used to want to do. And look, we were specifically talking about partying. And that's always like, you know, the, the classic common sin. But we we're talking about people we knew that, you know, are throwing down the Christian, you know, Name and gauntlet, and then live in a different way. And Paul says it clearly right here. He says, you know, if you're saved, if the Spirit's in you, your mind is set on different things. Now, Paul said, "Wretched man that I am," there's still sin, but you start setting your mind on different things. You say, no, I don't. I don't want to do that anymore. And you pray, "Hey God, take this away from me, so that my desire would not to be to use the client to not drink as much, or." Big Joe here is trying to quit coffee. I love coffee, so I, I, I'm praying for you, Joe. But, you know, I don't want to drink as much coffee, so I'm going to set my mind. That's, you know, I don't know if caffeine. But, anyway, I don't want to go out and throw down and party, so I'm setting my mind on things of the Spirit. It's a different mindset. And if you don't have that mindset, then maybe we need to question, well, if I don't have that mindset, you know, have I, did, it, did, it, did it really take... Do, or did I just do something to, to do it? I mean, is my mind being set? And look, we can move forward and we can fall back. But I do believe if, if the Spirit's in us, we begin to set our minds on things not of the flesh, but of the Spirit. Being saved is a new mindset. Also being saved is a new spirit. A new, and that is the Holy Spirit. That is what we just sang about. Let's pick up and read. Uh, verse 9, and I'm going to read verse 9 through... Actually, going to read verse 9 through 17. It's a new spirit, the Holy Spirit. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit in order that we may also be glorified with him. A new spirit. When you are saved, when you have salvation, there is a new spirit in you. Now, a lot of y'all have probably heard those things, but let's break it down. What does this look like? What does this mean? First off, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will live, will reside, will dwell in you. Holy Spirit's part of the Trinity. It was the Trinity who created everything we see, who was there at the beginning. So, the Holy Spirit who was there at the beginning of all creation lives and dwells within you. The Holy Spirit who ministered to Jesus when he was uh, in the wilderness can minister to you. The Holy Spirit who breathed life into the church as it was first started can breathe life into you tonight. The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, it says. Verse 11. Will give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit who did that can also help you. I love this verse. And this again ties into what Chris and I were talking about. Verse 13. By the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. You will live. So those those sins, those bad things that we want to, maybe try to get away from, we should. If we just rely on our own effort, like, I, you know, I'm going you know, I'm, I'm to quit blankety-blank, or I'm, I'm not going to go there, or I'm not going to take that call at 11 from that guy that I should take the call. If we just try by our human effort, we will fail. Uh, you know, it may not be today or tomorrow, but if by the Spirit's power we put to death, it's very clear right there, put to death, that there are things in our life When we're saved, we need to put to death. and We can't do it on our own, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, we can. We can. And so, for all of us, I'm preaching to myself here, I mean, there are things that we need to put to death. And I, I plead with myself, plead with all of us. Don't just rely on our own power, rely on the Spirit. Believe that that Spirit is in us. When we're saved, the Holy Spirit is living in us. And we are God's children. It says you are adopted as sons, sons and daughters. We always say heavenly father and all that, but get this, its is, is very clear. I mean, Jesus says this. Jesus says, you know, if you are not in me, your father is, it's hardcore here, your father is the devil. But if you're in me, then you are adopted by God, and he is your, your daddy, your true daddy. And I want you all to have that daddy. So we're adopted as children of God. We have his spirit. And by the spirit's power, we can put to death things that need to be put to death. So it is a new mindset. It is a new spirit. And then one other verse, and I think this is powerful. It ties into something I was preaching on Sunday. Look at this, verse 16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that we are children of God. So Paul is saying that we've got our own spirit, little s spirit. And this, for me, goes to those of you who, all of us, maybe are at times insecure, maybe are at times, you know, well, I can't do that, you know. Maybe at times, like, man, God's just not in my life. Maybe at times we're like, you know, okay, great pastor man, preacher man, but, you know, I can't, I can't do those things. I can't. The Spirit himself... And It's like he is, he is crying out to our own spirits. Say no, you are children of God. That's what I talked about when I said sometimes you have to listen to your heart, and then sometimes you have to turn and say, "Heart, listen to me." So that there is a force inside of us that the Holy Spirit that is talking to our own spirit, a spirit that's born in sin, saying, "No, God is your Father. Jesus has saved you. You can do this. You have this power. It is supernatural." You can overcome. I will make all things new. You can do this. And the Spirit, He probably screams at our spirits at times. And we need to listen to Him. I love that. The Spirit bears witness with our spirits. And then last, new spirit that we suffer. We suffer. It says that, provided we suffer with Christ. Paul's very clear. That doesn't mean, being saved doesn't mean everything is hunky-dory. You know, you may be saved, and the next two years of your life may be the worst years of your life. I would say, thank God you have Jesus. That could happen. I mean, from a worldly point of view. There will be suffering. Jesus said, man, I promise you, you guys are going to have tribulation. But, with being saved, not only do we have a new spirit, we have a new home and a new hope. I want to read verse 18. Through verse 25. He says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I love verse 18. There's so much about this chapter that I love, but it says, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory. I want to hit on this. Suffering and glory. There's a song, I think the song is He Loves Us. I'm not going to sing, but you know, He loves us. Oh, how He loves us. And there's a verse in there that, our afflictions are eclipsed by glory. I hope you remember that phrase. Our afflictions are eclipsed by glory. Paul says the same thing right here. Our sufferings, afflictions. Jesus said you're going to have tribulation. What's an eclipse? It's when, you know, like the moon is, I guess, in front of the sun. I'm not a good in stars and astronomy. The moon goes for the sun. Your sufferings, your affliction, eclipsed by glory, by God's glory, God's glory in you, God's glory in what he will do through your suffering or affliction. And so, you know, if you're going through suffering now, and probably all of us are going through some type of level of suffering, when we're saved, our afflictions become eclipsed by God's glory. And then we can say, yes, you know, there was pain, but look what God did through that, and it's his glory. Yes, I'm I'm going through this affliction, I'm suffering, but it can be to God's glory. And that's the promise, that the sufferings cannot compare with the glory. A lot of times, I think people read that verse and they think, you know, it's heaven. You know, heaven glory. That's true. But I think it's the now as well. That, yes, we have suffering, but they can be eclipsed in the now by his glory. And then, we all know that something is wrong with the world. We don't have to have problems. I mean, we can look out into the world and see tragedy. Uh, some of y'all know I had a friend, he wasn't like a dear friend, he wasn't a, a, a great buddy, but he was a friend, and, and he died tragically a couple of days ago. And I, I saw it over Facebook, and here's a guy, you know, in the prime of his life, I didn't have children yet, but he was 39, happy marriage, successful entrepreneur, living the dream, uh, loved extreme sports, and, and he was killed in an accident. Man, did to see that? I was like, man, something's wrong with this world. And Paul's saying it right here, yeah. Creation itself will one day be free from its bondage. So all of creation right now is still in this bondage. I mean, Paul wrote this after Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, Jesus rose from the dead to save us, but there's still this bondage. There's still the remnants of sin. Verse 22, we know that whole, the whole creation has been groaning. Remember that word, groaning. We're going to see it again. Groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Groaning that the new world would be born. Child, the new world is when Jesus returns again. it has been groaning. He's like, please, let's, let's let it happen. And it's in God's timing, I believe, because he wants the world to be saved. But creation is still in this bondage of decay and has been groaning. Verse 23, not only creation, but we. Me. I have a friend who dies. I have... Uh, you know, I see my kids suffer. I don't want that. Uh, I see relationships broken. I don't want that. And, and you, know, I, you know, part of my job is pastoring people through suffering. So, you know, I see this all the time. I don't want that. There's something wrong with the world. It's still broken. It's still in bondage. But it says we ourselves, and look at this, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the first fruits, meaning there's a lot more fruit to come. There's a lot more fruit to come. So our salvation, the spirit living in us, is the first fruits of something that will truly happen and the world will fully be saved and it won't be in bondage anymore. There won't be any decay. There won't be this brokenness. So we have a new home and a new hope. When you're saved, you know, your home is, it's here now, but it's not our true home. And we have hopes. You know, we can hope in a spouse, and they will disappoint. We can hope in our kids, and they will disappoint. We can hope in our friends, and they will disappoint. Sometimes we put hope, you know, maybe in a a human church, you know, and the humans in it can disappoint. We put hope in leaders, and we hope in a president, they disappoint. But our hope is in something that will not disappoint, that we know is fact, that God will return. We have a a real home forever, and a real hope. And then, I just want to, Talk some more just personally, you know, like struggles. I want to tie in on this suffering because a lot of times, again, what I do, you know, it revolves around the afflictions and the suffering and the longings. So being saved, it means a new home and a new hope. It means a new spirit. It means a new mindset. It also means a new way of looking at your world. At your life. A new way of... It's like you get a new pair of glasses and you see this world and this life through a different lens. And this is where we pick up in verse 26. I'm going to just read verse 26 through 28. Likewise, the Spirit, the same Spirit who lives in us, helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings. Remember that word? How creation is groaning Well, the Spirit is groaning, same Greek word here, groaning out to God for us too deep for words. And he who searches heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. The saints would be believers. The saints would be those who are saved. So, y'all, according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So, when you're saved, that means you have a new way of seeing. A new way of seeing your life. A new way of seeing trials. A new way of seeing your circumstances. Uh, Romans 8, 28 is thrown a lot. And, well, it should be. But, I'd like you to see even more. When you're saved, you see, you know, the Spirit, I have this supernatural power that when I can't pray, or I don't know how to pray, I don't know what to pray for, it's praying to God, it's groaning out to God, On my behalf. You have that. That's powerful. That is life changing. When we get that. And so many Christians don't. Holy Spirit helped create the universe. I mean Trinity. Is groaning to God. And so then all the circumstances. All the things that happen in our life. In our walks. We can know that they can be. Not just used for good. But can turn into good. For us. For others. All things, all things, not some things, not a few things. But if you're saved, if you have the Spirit, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Now, it may not be our plan and purpose, but it's God's, and that's much better and much greater. So I would, I would pray uh, for myself, for us, that being saved, we would say, you know, I, I have a new way of seeing the world. That we were literally, and know, even though we can't see this, that the Holy Spirit is groaning out on our behalf to our Heavenly Father when we need Him. And that everything that we go through, we trust, not just that we have a place in heaven, we trust can be worked out for good in the here and now. That's being saved. It's a new way of seeing. And if people get this, if y'all really got that, it would change the way you live. It would change the way you, you walk and how you look at your relationships, how you look at your dating life. How you look at your married life, the challenges we face, it's going to work out for good. And this supernatural power, the Holy Spirit, groaning out for us to God, it's a new way of seeing, a new way of seeing. Last thing, with that new way of seeing, it's a new confidence, it's a new confidence. Now, I don't mean confidence in the cocky sense, and that's all often where it can be but I mean a serene confidence. I love that phrase, a serene confidence. Walking in peace. You can walk in humility, yet with confidence. Live in Romans 8:28, but even more. Paul closes this chapter uh, with, with some powerful words for the life today, for the life to come. He says, verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? our Lord. Just a few closing thoughts. A new confidence. It is very easy to have confidence when everything's going our way. Uh, job's going good. Get a raise. Uh, get, uh, get a promotion. Got the career track locked in. It's very easy to have confidence when, uh, you know, your children are doing great. You can be proud of them. and brag on them. We love to do that. It would be very easy to have confidence when you're invited to all the right parties. And not only are you invited, you're like offered this great seat at the, at the table, per se. And you can walk, no, you know, I'm in the right crowds. I got the right connections. It's very easy to do those things. It's very hard to walk in confidence when we get you know, smacked up on the side of the head uh, or we get hit uh, by the wiles of life and the winds and the currents and feel tossed around. Uh, maybe we lose a job. Maybe we lose a spouse. We have this broken relationship. Maybe our kids don't meet up. Maybe, maybe, God forbid, tragedy happens and death enters into uh, our, our lives in, in some way that's just heart-wrenching. And we feel defeated. Defeated would be the, the word I I'd say articulates best when these things happen. We just feel defeated. Being saved we have, means we have a new confidence. Doesn't mean there's not sadness. Doesn't mean there's not feelings that can overwhelm us. Doesn't mean there's not even. Uh, depression, but we can walk in a new confidence, that we have a new home, that we have a new hope, have a new way of seeing the world, that things will come out for good. We have a new spirit, which is God, the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray all of us would walk out of here and be able to walk in a new confidence. And if we can't do that, then, man, let's talk to me about, and I, want, I really want to know, I'm sad, I, want, I want this. And I want you to have it, truly saved, fully saved, really saved. She can walk in a new confidence. And it's even a new confidence when we face death. You know, I was praying here before this gathering. I always, honestly, I always kind of lay down on my couch, kind of close my eyes and just kind of pray. And I might nod off or something. Wednesday's a long day. But, you know, I was praying, and I have thought a lot, and I think we do this when someone we know and have spent time with uh, passes. You know, I was just thinking. Then, um, unfortunately, I had this happen last November when a closer friend passed away. And I was thinking, I just I, and I prayed. I was like, "God, give me the courage to face death one day." I mean, I'll be—I'm really afraid of death. I mean, just you know, it's—I've you know, had to do funerals and, and the coffin. I mean, it's—it's it's, give me the confidence, just you know. And I was like, I actually prayed today. I was like, "Lord, I really all this. I really wish you'd come and I wouldn't have to face death." You ever think about that? I mean, y'all probably don't, but I said, you know, Paul writes about that. Like, first, I'd rather be here and be called up in the Lord. So I'm like, Lord, I'd rather you come, you know, before my time. But if not, I was like, give me the, give me the courage to face death. I'm not trying anymore, but, it, it, but it's the reality. And we can have this new confidence that not only is it not the end, but our bodies will be uh, complete and renewed because the power of salvation The power of the Spirit that raised Jesus will raise our bodies. And so that's hope. That's being saved. That we can walk in confidence. The afflictions, and then the greatest affliction we could face, which would be our own death, is not our death. It's just the beginning of, as C.S. Lewis called, the first chapter of a book that has no end and is more wonderful and marvelous than we can imagine. Praise God. We we'll pray together. I'm gonna close in prayer, and Chris is gonna lead us in some music, and we invite y'all all to use this time. We we like to have Wednesdays as an intentional time of prayer. It can be specific or general, you know, for something going on in your life, uh, prayer for the world, prayer for this church, prayer for a relationship. We're gonna offer the altars or pray at your seats. I I would ask you to, to pray. God, show me. If I am saved, if I've had that moment, I want this new confidence, new mindset, new way of seeing it. Give it to me. Let, me. let me put to death things I need to put to death. And I would pray that if you don't, that the Holy Spirit would convict you and awaken your heart. That we could have a conversation and then you could fully be saved. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I thank you for uh, your word. Uh, it, it, it breathes life uh, into me, uh, into us. Thank you for your power, uh, spirit-filled power. I pray that all of us would feel that, and I pray we would walk in a new way uh, with confidence, uh, with a new hope, in a new home, with a new spirit, that is the Holy Spirit. Pray it for these people. And I pray if they don't have that, you would awaken their hearts, awaken it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.